When I met with her in November, she told me that life felt like a struggle due to COVID fatigue and some unmet longings in her marriage. And I asked her what she most wanted from God in that space. And she said, I want strength and I want clarity. Near the end of our Zoom call that day, our conversation led to a moment of great clarity for her. And she all of a sudden said, hey, that's what I asked for at the beginning of our time. Her tears spilled out, quickly followed by smiles. I love it when God shows up like that, especially for a woman who suffered a heartbreak a number of years ago that led to some real disappointment with her church. And so she's been in the middle of a long absence from walking in a Christian community. She's not from this area and you don't know who she is. I'm just simply protecting her confidentiality by not using her name. So when we started our Zoom call in December, I could see and hear that something was up. And she said, you are not gonna believe this. After we talked last month and I told God I needed clarity, clarity started popping up all over the place. She said it showed up in a podcast I listened to and then it came up in a conversation with a coworker and it you know, showed up in one of those pretty pictures with a quote in my social media feed. It's just been like everywhere. It was clear to me that she was experiencing God's presence and reality in a new way. So I asked her, what does that feel like? And she said, it feels really pleasant, like there's a warm hand on my shoulder. I'm pretty curious about what God has been up to since our December call, and I'm eager to hear more when we meet in January. I bet that you have seen and heard God at work as well. When you notice, I encourage you to get in touch with one of our pastors so that together you guys can figure out how the story can be shared and we can encourage one another with the reality and goodness of God's presence and work among us. So welcome this morning, a warm welcome to all of you here in the sanctuary and all of you worshiping with us at home. And a special extra warm welcome to you if you are a guest among us. There are connection cards in the pew rack in front of you. If you're a guest, we'd love for you to fill that out and let us know you are here. Uh, the rest of you are willing, uh, willing. The rest of you are welcome to use the connection card to submit a prayer request. And those of us on the intercessors team would love to pray with and for you. If you are not present in the building, it's possible to fill out uh, a little uh, to submit a prayer request online by clicking on the need prayer image on our homepage of our website, mjmc.org. If you would like to give a tithe or an offering today and you're in the building, you can drop it in the basket at the back of the sanctuary on your way out and others can 
give online or mail a check. I'm excited to tell you about another way to give that's in front of us right now. We are going to do a food drive for the Power Packs project. Power Packs is a ministry that empowers low-income households with recipes and ingredients to create nutritious weekend meals so that kids can come back to school um, fed and ready to learn. The list of items that are needed was in yesterday's Saturday email, so you can check there. If you don't get our email currently, jump on our website and you can sign up for the email there. We'll also just try to get that list of ingredients on the website itself so that you can find out what's needed. In this case, it's not a look in your pantry, empty the stuff you haven't been using because the ingredients are very specific to the recipes. You will be able to drop off donations in the church lobby starting next Sunday through the end of the month. As we move into a time of prayer this morning, I'm going to invite you to do something a little bit different. I want you, first of all, to just look around the room, or if you're at home, imagine who, might be, who you might see in this room if you were here. And as you look around at us, or imagine us, I invite you to remember that we together the body of Christ, are held in the long, loving gaze of God. One of our brothers from hundreds of years ago, whose name was Ignatius, encouraged us to begin our prayer with a reminder, with pausing to imagine ourselves being looked upon lovingly by God. So now as you close your eyes, just continue to hold that image in your mind and allow your definition of us to expand beyond the building, beyond our congregation, to all of God's people scattered throughout the world. God looks on us with love. As you join me in prayer, I invite you to listen for the places where I will ask you a question and then pause so that you can offer your specific prayers to God. Oh God, three in one, you make our hearts sing. You are a bondage breaker. You break chains. You're mighty. You are over all. And you are near and tender, merciful, healing, loving and loving and loving. What do you notice about God this morning that makes your heart sing? Tell God quietly in your mind. As we soak in your love this morning, we love you back.
God. God, we miss the mark of loving so often. God, this week I have called someone a nasty name. I have worried. I have held on to anger overnight. I have seen my tendency to run ahead of you. I have judged and I have failed to be grateful. How have you missed the mark of love this week? Tell God quietly in your mind. Thank you for your forgiveness, merciful one. God, you give us so many good gifts. New babies, good responses to cancer treatments, recoveries from COVID, warm homes, encouraging friendships, chances to learn. What are the gifts you noticed this week? Tell God quietly in your mind. Generous one, we thank you. And God, we have so many needs. We need healing of cancers among us and relief from pain. We need resilience in this crazy long COVID thing we're in the middle of. We need discernment to know what's true and what's not true in a time of competing stories. We need wisdom and courage to be peacemakers in this time where peace seems fragile. We need an unwavering commitment to do justice and hearts inclined to love mercy and a posture of humility as we walk with our eyes on you. What are the needs you notice this week? Tell God quietly in your mind. We are counting on you, faithful one, to help us and give us what we need. We are asking with trust in your power to do more than we ask or imagine. Amen. Before Carl comes to speak, I invite you to listen to the reading of Matthew 4, 1 to 11. It's the story of the temptation of Christ. Consider listening today in a fresh way, maybe listening for a particular word or phrase that seems highlighted to you, kind of like if God had a yellow highlighter. What's he highlighting to you? What shimmers? And then, as you listen to the sermon, you can notice if what you found to be highlighted shows up and how it shows up. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Then, after Jesus' baptism, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness 
to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The scriptures say people don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, If you're the Son of God, jump off. Because the scriptures say, He will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to a peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. Well, good morning, everyone, and Happy New Year. I haven't had a chance to say that to you yet. It uh, already seems like we're well into a new year. Also wanted to just mention to you that um, I felt like it would be helpful to respond in some ways to the events of last Wednesday, um, but it didn't feel like our worship service was the place to do that, and I wasn't quite sure how to fit that in. So I used my weekly email to do that. And so, again, that's been mentioned this morning, but if you aren't getting our weekly email, you can sign up for that at the bottom of our homepage. Um, and we know from the open rates that about half of the addresses we send to open the emails. So if you missed the one on Friday, you might want to go back and pick that up. Uh, it's a, just some reflections on the events that happened in the Capitol or in Washington on Wednesday. So I'm not going to really talk about that this morning. Actually, what I want to do is I want to start with a riddle. And uh, I want to put up for you three pictures. <clears throat> I want you to think about for a moment what wine and diamonds and olive oil have in common. So on the left you have wine, because you don't recognize these things, there are diamonds in the middle, olive oil. What, what, um, what do they have in common, do you suppose? Let's do audience participation. We don't have time for you to text in your replies from home, but you can tell me here in the room if you, uh, what do you think those three things have in common? They're all, they're all squeezed. Pressure, yeah, exactly. They all, uh, in order to form these three things, there has to be some kind of intense pressure. They have to be hard pressed. So uh, with wine, you only get wine when grapes are crushed or grape juice. I think the same thing is true. You have to crush the grapes to get grape juice. Rocks and minerals have to be subjected to really high temperatures, but also intense physical pressure, some multiple tens of thousands of pounds per square inch in order for diamonds to form. And olives have to be crushed 
or pressed in order for you to have olive oil. So whenever you feel crushed or pressed, pressed, <laughs> crushed or pressed, or hard pressed, remember, this might be a helpful image for you to keep in mind. Remember that you may be in a place of powerful transformation, that good things often result from being hard pressed. I think it's important to know what you cling to when you're under pressure, to know where you find hope, what you cling to for hope when you're under pressure. Some of us have felt intense pressures in the, in the year we just ended, in 2020. And I think it's important for us to stop and think, what, what have I been clinging to? What have I been clinging to for hope and for resilience? You know, as we turn the corner into a new year, we do have some hope that things are getting better. I, I mean, I realize that rates of the virus uh, transmission are still very high, in fact, at record highs, but we do have some hope that that's changing. As the virus runs its course, as more people get vaccinated, we hope that it's gonna fade over the next little while. I've realized over the past few weeks that quite a few of us have weathered about with the virus more than I realized. Um, I, I now realize that when I don't see someone for a little while or I don't hear from them, it may be because they're battling COVID symptoms. And then I find that when they resurface, it turns out that they've, that they've weathered it. For some people, it's been fairly mild. Other people I've heard from, they've been completely flattened by the virus for a little while. And other people have been hospitalized. But uh, some of us have had family members die. I know that it's, it's reached into our families. I'm not aware of any deaths connected to uh, our regular attenders here at MJMC. Also during the winter time, some of us battle winter blues. We're sadder, we're more blue during the winter because of the gray skies and the unrelenting cold. And for those of us who are extroverts, this has been quite a long season of being hard pressed with limited contact. Nita and I were on a call, a Zoom call with some friends over the holidays and as we were catching up with them, it turned out that she is still just going completely buggy at being, working from home and only being restricted to her house and he's doing great. He wonders where this has been all his life, you know, that he's, he's more introverted and he's delighted to stay home and have it be just a fine thing to not be expected to go out very much. So maybe you're in one or uh, go back and forth from those categories, I don't know. But I think one of the things that I, I've thought about over the, the last number of months is that for most of us, most of us, this has been more of an inconvenience than a devastation. Um, it, it's interrupted the things and the rhythms that we're used to, the things that we are used to doing, but it, for, most of it, it, for most of us, it hasn't been a devastating uh, calamity because we still have much to be thankful for. Most of us have been able to continue working and so our incomes have been stable. Most of us have remained relatively healthy. Um, most of us, well, some of us have actually been busier than before and it's been good for your work life in some ways um, because you work in food services or you work in retail or you work in the medical field uh, or maybe you work in trucking and delivery services or in the building trades and you're actually busier than you have been. And I think I speak for all of us to just say thank you to all of you who are in frontline roles with the, the general public, especially in medicine, and the ways that you continue to serve at some risk to yourselves. But I also realize that as I think about this, that God's people, and we talked about this back in the spring, God's people have sometimes faced much more devastating situations than the ones that we face. I mean, there have been much more deadly and dangerous pandemics than this one. Um, God's people have sometimes faced intense persecution and that still happens in different parts of the world. 
God's people have at other times, other places, lived through war, times of war and economic collapse where the whole economy really just literally just collapsed around them. And I'm grateful that that hasn't really been the way this has panned out or played out for, for us. My hope, though, is that we've learned some lessons here that if we do walk through darker times at some point, nothing that I ever wish for, but that we would be better prepared for those things and that we would remain faithful. We would weather those challenges faithfully if we had to. In any case, I think that the, the, the end of the virus is likely to be something that unfolds over several months. It's not likely to end abruptly. So I think it's still helpful for us to think about what we cling to, what we cling to for hope in the face of being hard-pressed. One of the things that, that helps me is that as I think about back to the early uh, weeks of the, I think of it as the coronavirus curtain coming down uh, back in mid-March, um, I realized that those first few weeks were pretty rough for me. I think I went through several gallons of adrenaline probably in two weeks, uh, just trying to decide what we should do here as a congregation. Uh, what we should do, when to do it, how to do it, how to communicate with you, and how to stay in touch when mo- many of our rhythms were disrupted. And we didn't really have a clear picture of you know, how many weeks this would last and in what way, what, what it would look like months out ahead. Eventually, we began to find our way. There were still lots of unknowns, but we made some decisions and moved forward. And then things changed again, and we made some new decisions and moved forward. And one of the things I quickly realized as I looked back was that God had given us enough wisdom and enough light to take another step each time. Didn't give us a lot of light to see, you know, well into the future, but each time there was enough grace and wisdom, enough light to take another step. We could sort things that took some energy and some effort, but we could figure some things out and move forward together. And we faced another challenge, things changed again, and again, I felt like we had enough wisdom and enough light to make another, to take another step. I have to tell you, this is not at all my favorite way to lead. I much prefer the, you know, being able to see further out into the future. But I feel like one of the lessons for me last year was trusting in God's presence, trusting in God's grace, and that God would care for us, that God would care for me, that what God would give me and us what we would need to move forward. And so one of the things that I'm clinging to, that I found myself clinging to, is God's faithfulness in caring for his children. I think my trust is deeper that God will do that, that God will care for us no matter what we face. The story that Nita read to us, read for us from Matthew 4 is about the temptation of Jesus or the testing of Jesus. And if you notice right at the beginning uh, of what she read, it said, after his baptism, if you go back into Matthew 3, you realize that this story follows immediately after the baptism of Jesus where one of the things that Jesus heard was the voice of his father from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This had to have been a high point for him at at that moment. It was the beginning of his ministry. He was becoming, uh, uh, stepping out into public in a particular, in a new way. And to just be so powerfully encouraged. I mean, can you imagine if at your baptism, a voice had come from heaven saying, this is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. And then in God's own timing and for God's own purposes, the next thing God has in mind for him is to be tested in this profound way. It says the spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. He was, it was God's plan and God's purpose for him to go into the wilderness. I have a picture of the Judean wilderness I want to show you. 
Um, it was taken from Masada, which is the uh, a hilltop fortress that Herod built. Last week we heard about Herod and all the buildings he built and so on. He created a, a remote, escape, sort of a mountaintop escape for himself in case he needed to escape from Jerusalem. He was going to escape down toward the Dead Sea onto this outcropping. And the, the fortress is on that uh, rock that's there to your left. You can see some people standing on a, a little overlook And this is looking back toward Jerusalem with the Dead Sea behind us, but that's roughly what the Judean wilderness looks like all the way from the Jordan River back up to Jerusalem. There's a a hill to the, uh, uh, would be the east of Jerusalem, and beyond that and the whole way out to the Jordan River, it looks about like this. Just a a kind of a wasteland and a place I would not want to spend time, even if I had food and water with me. But it says that the Spirit led Jesus into some area in this wilderness for the purpose of being tested, for the, to, in order to be tested. The story says that he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. It doesn't give us a lot of detail about the impact that had on him. I don't know if, how long you fasted. I've never fasted that long. But I'm sure that at the end of that time, you're at least weak and you're hungry. The story doesn't say that Jesus was alone, but it does seem to indicate that he was there by himself. The Spirit led him there, but he was also alone. Whenever I'm weak and hungry and alone, I start feeling sorry for myself. I'm grumpier, I'm more irritable, and I'm more vulnerable. And that's, that's when the temptations come more strongly to mind. For me, and I'm sure that Jesus in this case was more vulnerable because of that moment as well. Maybe this is true for you. Maybe uh, last year was hard enough for you that you felt like you were weak and hungry and alone and grumpy and irritable and you felt sorry for yourself. As I said, that's when the temptations hit us most strongly. And we tend to return to, turn to or return to whatever our favorite vice is or whatever our weaknesses, our, our, our continuing weaknesses, whether it's bad TV or alcohol or pornography or bad food or bad friends or bad attitudes, bad, bad, bad. All, all those things result from times where we're weak and tired and alone and frustrated and feel sorry for ourselves. I think you know what I'm talking about. The temptations that Jesus faced, though, are a little different than bad TV and bad friends because the devil here was offering him things that he was entitled to. He was offering him that were Jesus, that were, Jesus had a right to, but he was just offering to provide them to Jesus by a far easier path, by avoiding the suffering and the humiliation and the agony of dying on the, of dying on the cross. He was offering him a way to, 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 ha- to receive these things that he was entitled to without having to face the cross. So if, if, first of all, he says to him, if you really are the son of God, let's see you do some magic. Let's have you cha- uh, change these rocks into bread. After all, I'm pretty sure you're hungry. Let's see you do some magic. And Jesus responds with a quotation from scripture. And so the devil responds to him and says, oh, okay, Well, if you really are the son of God and if you want to rely on the word of God, don't you know also that he promises special protection for you? God promises special protection. Surely you of all people, as the son of God, as the anointed one, are entitled to call on God to fulfill that promise. So let's let's see it. Let's see God provide for you. Of course, Jesus 
has the promise of God for his protection. And the third thing he offers him is, why don't you take, if you worship me, I'll give you control of all of the kingdoms of the world. Step into your destiny right now. I can make it happen for you. Basically, the question that he's asking in all three of these temptations is, don't you deserve better than this? Don't you deserve better than this? I mean, after all, if you are the son of God, if you are the anointed one, why, why is this happening to you? Don't you deserve better than this? I mean, why should the son of God be famished? You, you know, God owns everything. Why should you endure hunger like this? Why should you be alone and vulnerable and weak? I mean, is this really the kind of life you have to look forward to as the anointed messenger of God? And as you think about the kingdoms of the world that I can give you, by the way, why should you live under stupid and selfish people when you know you should be ruling over them? Just bow down to me. We'll make that happen for you. Maybe you need a better father. Maybe you need a, someone who's gonna take better care of you than your father is doing. I don't think it's hard to imagine that Jesus wanted to eat something. And I don't think it's hard to imagine that he wanted God to protect him from harm. And I don't think it's hard to imagine that he had some memory of what it was to be God, to be, to, to, to be God and to have power and authority, that he wanted these things that Satan was offering him. One preacher says that if Jesus was not really tempted by these things, then this was not really a test for him. I think it's worth stopping to think about that because you know, we read this story and it takes you about three minutes to read through it. Tick, 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 I've heard it before. You know, trick, 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 it's over. I know he resists, blah, 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 let's go on. But realize that if these were not really attractive things to Jesus, this would not have been a test for him. I think that's worth pondering a little bit. And I think it also then leads us to the question, what did Jesus cling to? What did Jesus hold on to when he was hard-pressed and when he was tested, especially in this way and in this story? What did Jesus cling to? I think two things stand out to me really, really clearly here. And one is very obvious, and that is the word of God, the promises of God. Jesus knew the word of God well. And when Satan brought him these temptations, he was able to respond specifically and directly to the things that Satan was, was tempting him with, with the word of God. He knew the promises of God. The other thing I think Jesus clung to in this case was his identity as the beloved son of God. As the beloved son of God. He had just heard that affirmation before he was sent into the wilderness. And yeah, maybe his, his trust in that was fading a little bit like Elijah's was when Elijah had this high point and then you know, just briefly after that he's, he's in despair because he thinks God has abandoned him. But I think Jesus here clung to the word of God and to his identity as the dearly loved son of God. And he passed this test by holding on to those things and by, in doing so by trusting the grace and the power of the spirit at work within him. He did trust God to take care of him and to see him through whatever it is that God had led him into. He, he held on to those things. So we come back to the question I've been asking us. What have you been clinging to this past year when you've heard these kinds of questions whispered into your ear? Have you ever thought during this past year, you know, I think I deserve better than this. My life is harder than I want it to be. And maybe the tempter comes to you and says, 
if you really are the beloved child of God, shouldn't your life be a little easier than this? <laughs> shouldn't you get some special care and some special privilege? Shouldn't things be going better for you? Shouldn't life be a little less painful for you? What will you cling to when you hear that question in the, in the next week, in the next month? The question, don't you deserve better than this? Shouldn't God be making sure that you're happier than you are, that you're healthier than you are, that you're wealthier than you are, that you are safer than you are? Maybe, maybe you need to trust a different father, a different caretaker. Well, friends, I urge you, I urge you to cling to the word of God and your identity as the beloved child of God. To cling to God's promises to care for you. God's promises to be with you. God's promises to provide a way out for you. The list of God's promises is far longer than I can recite this morning. We sang through some of them this morning. Cling to the word of God, the promises of God, and cling to your identity as a dearly loved, dearly beloved child of God so that you can trust the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit that is at work within you to help you to say no to whatever it is that you find tempting. Barbara Brown Taylor says that in the quietness that follows his departure, you may well hear another voice saying what he said about Jesus or said to Jesus, this is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. But you know, the truth is that you and I have one other thing to cling to that didn't work quite the same way for Jesus. You and I can also cling to each other. You and I can cling to the word of God, to our identity as as a child of God, but we can also cling to each other. We can hold on to each other for encouragement, for support, for real flesh and blood other people to stand with us when we are hard pressed or when we're tempted. You know, social psychologists tell us that in conformity studies that it only takes one other person to stand up with you for you to withstand the pressure of the crowd. All it takes is one other person to stand with someone and they'll be able to withstand an incredible amount of pressure from other people. So I think the question that I want to leave, the questions I want to leave you with this morning is what are you clinging to and who are you clinging to? What are you clinging to and who are you clinging to? Obviously, we cling to each other. We also cling to God himself as his beloved children. I think this is important to think about because I actually have bad news for you this morning. And the bad news is that as delighted as I am to see you in person when you come here to worship and as delighted as I am to hear from you when I know that you participate with us on our live stream, if all that you do in terms of your spiritual journey is connect with us in a worship service on Sunday mornings, that is not likely to change your life. You're not likely to see the power of God at work in your life as fully as it could be if it's just you coming to a weekly worship service. I mean, we do work hard to provide you with a a good diet of uh, spiritual food, varied diets. But if you're not also regularly and honestly talking with someone or several other someones during the week about what it means for you to follow Jesus in the specifics of your life situation then you're not gonna be able to connect the dots in, this, in the way that you could be. If you're not experiencing what we sometimes call life on life discipleship, where there's one person talking to one other person 
about what it means to follow Jesus right now. There's a couple of different ways this might work out for you. One would be you have one or more good friends that you talk to on a regular basis. You share your, who share your commitment to Jesus and you talk together about what it means to follow Jesus in, in your life. Some of you are fortunate to have mature Christians in your family networks, in your extended family. So I, I hope that maybe it's your spouse, your husband or your wife. That's not possible for all of us. So maybe it's a brother or a sister, an aunt or an uncle, parents, in-laws, somebody in your family. But for all of us, it's possible to connect with a small group of people in our congregation. We have many different types of small groups here in our congregation, and I'd urge you to consider connecting with one of them, to connect with other brothers and sisters, to cling together. We have um, small groups that meet once or twice a month through, around the year. We have small groups that meet every week for nine-week trimesters. We have, those are starting up uh, tomorrow. Our, our second trimester of the school years of that group, that style of group starts tomorrow. Some of you have been part of Sunday school classes that function in this way. We have women's Bible study groups. We have men's groups. We have a youth group, a junior high group, a whole variety of different kinds of groups you could be part of. As you answer this question, what am I clinging to and who am I clinging to in overcoming the challenges of the new year? The end result and our hope is that as followers of Jesus, we're able to stand up well under pressure. We're able to say no to temptation if that's what the pressure is. And while you may not be inspired by the picture of being olive oil at the end of all of that, maybe you'll be inspired to think, hey, I would love to be f like fine wine that God is delighted to enjoy. Or maybe a diamond. Maybe the pressures of my life are forming me into a diamond that God will enjoy. I urge you to think about these things. <clears throat> to take some time to prayerfully consider these things before the Lord.